Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About with Gina Tremarco and my good friend that I love having on this show, Tatiana Ferreira. Tati, hello. Welcome Hi. back. Nice to be back. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Awesome. I'm so happy to have you back and kind of we're transitioning some of our conversations since we have transitioned the show. I like to say I'm doubling down on talking about women's issues, especially in the workplace and then how that just trickles down to everything that we do. And before we started today, we started talking about there's so many things that we can talk about. And I know that you do a lot of training around women's issues. Could could you just give me a little brief summary of maybe some of the ways that you help women or have helped women? And then we're going to start diving into the topic of feedback for women. Yeah. So I, I think that one of the, we were, we were just chatting before very animatedly about the, what are some of the things that, that you can do to, and I think we're jumping a little bit because feedback is, it's incredibly important, but one of the things that we can really do to help each other is to, yes, there's advocacy and yes, it's speaking about it in forums like this and in social, on social media and in other places. But one of the key ways that I found is incredibly helpful is to, to intervene on the spot. And it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be something that creates a, a, a bad moment. But that's that, that we're talking about when that when a man talks over your colleague. Uh, that you and you can see that she's clearly interrupted and she's a little frazzled by that situation. You can clearly say, "Hey, I don't think Gina had finished that thought. I'd love to hear what she had to say." Or when Gina had just shared a great idea five minutes ago, and someone else sort of repackages it, and then it picks up speed because they were somehow the person that 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 picked up that idea and it was somehow a little bit more compelling in the way they presented it. Hey, that's great. That sounds really great. It sounds just like what Gina just said 10 minutes ago. So there's a way to say this, which is it's conducive to the argument and conducive to the discussion, continue to move on, but it's also calling out that supporting, directly supporting the other women that are there in that room with you, but also showing that you're seeing that you're paying attention. And if someone is, whether they're inadvertently doing it or if they're doing it on purpose, it's not going to continue because you're going to, we're on to that. So it's interesting. I think back throughout my career when I've been sitting at the table, literally, and every time I would speak up, I would be kind of trampled on or talked over, or like you said, like they wouldn't acknowledge my idea and then come back and then bring that idea back up as if it were their own. And I know that I have, because of my nature with improv, especially in collaboration, the combination of that and being a woman, I'm also kind of the type of person like, I don't need all the credit for things. I don't need all the applause for things. I I just don't want you to degradate me in a meeting or put me down in a meeting. But I would have a tendency to just kind of back down and be like, yeah, OK, let him think that was his idea and that's fine. But what really comes to mind that I think about as I grew in leadership is when you would have leaders complain, nobody's speaking up, nobody's contributing, no one's saying anything. I've been in some recent meetings where all the women just kept their mouth shut. And is that conditioning? Is that conditioning that we're like, hmm, you're just going to speak over me anyway. So I think I'm not going to say anything. What are you... And it's sad because you're missing out on great ideas or thoughts or conversations because they've just shut down. Do you have thoughts about that? 
Absolutely. I, I've been in that same spot as you have been over my career, and, it, and it's taking too long to bring the voice to be able to speak back, right? It's by the time you realize that, yes, I can say something or I can, and, and I think a lot of this is due to, and, and that's where I think we can be helpful to each other. How do I give you the tools so you can confidently talk back without sounding like you're upset or you're sore, which makes, which furthers the damage of that conversation, right? Where it's like, oh, we have to, then what I remember is not Gina speaking up for herself, it's Gina being upset at the meeting because someone took her idea. So, so in, in this example, Gina is, is, is in the losing side no matter what. So that's, I think, a lot of the times why the women stay quiet because you're, and I think it, there's a bigger problem to this, which is something that I have been very passionate about over the years, especially affecting women, but not only, which is around this idea of louder voices, the one that we should be hearing, right? Someone who speaks and I have a term that I use and people who know me will laugh and they hear this, but the jazz hands, right? People with the jazz hands, <laughs> they have a way of saying things, that they're very persuasive and yeah, they're very yeah. animated. Whereas you have incredible ideas coming from the, some of the more quiet, some of the more introverted members of your team. And when you don't create an environment in which they can speak safely, when you're not calling out, and as a leader, especially, specifically the leadership and making sure that you're creating the space for that versus it just being throw the piece of meat in the center and see who run for it because you end up with the same people. And it's a loss for the entire team because one, the same people, and no matter how smart we are, we shouldn't be talking all the time. None of us, we should be listening. What's that, what's that saying that we have two years and we'll mouth uh-huh. others as well. And, and a lot of times some of my most introverted colleagues were the ones that had the best insight because they were listening the whole time and then they would say something that no one had thought about. But how do you create an opportunity for that to truly be the practice versus the exception? And I think women specifically suffer from that more because they are, there are many times a little bit more self-spoken or even the way in which women speak, which is another thing that I've been coaching and speaking when I, in different speaking engagements spoke about it saying things like, well, this may sound like a silly idea or, you know, this might be a stupid question. So like, how do you cut that out of the speech? How do we not say yeah. those things anymore? And like, oh, I, this may—I don't think this may not matter. But I always say, if you're saying something, you think it matters, right? Why do? You, why are you prefacing just to soften the blow because no one thought of it? You're softening and you're and you're diminishing your own idea before you even say it. And that's it, very exactly. much within women's uh, vocabulary. So how do you, how do we get out of talking? A phrase that I hear a lot, and I'm guilty of saying, oh, this, this makes sense. Asking someone, does that make sense? Of course it makes sense. I said it, and it makes sense. <laughs> what I'm trying to ask is, did you understand? But I'm saying in a softer way, so I'm not putting it on you for the, your lack of understanding or your, your inability to grasp this idea. I'm softening it, but by softening it on the, in the way I, I, I talk about it, I'm actually diminishing my own yeah, and I'm I'm pulling something up on my phone, something feedback I actually gave to a woman that I was coaching. And she actually wanted me to look at some correspondence between her and a prospect via email of like, how do I deal with this situation? And so it was a situation specific I gave her feedback on. And I said, if you don't mind, I'd actually like to give you some feedback on the words in your email. Because the words in her email, there was a phrase that was, I don't want to be pushy. And I'm like, 
all right, we need to reword that. Like I rewrote her entire email to give her the example. I'm like, you got to be direct and to the point. You saying, I don't want to be pushy. Sounds like it diminishes you. It takes away your power and your strength. You're not being pushy. You have a job to do, right? And like when I rewrote this for her, I was like, get to the point. I'm like, let me know when you're going to need this material at your site. Like, I took this very long. I don't want to be pushy. There was even something in there where I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous about meeting your deadlines. And this was really because she hadn't heard back from them, right? The deal wasn't done yet. And so I'm like, I'm actually really confused. I'm like, I need you to provide me more details. Did you get the deal or not get the deal? Why are you nervous? You don't have the deal yet. But saying all these things, is actually going to trigger that person's brain to think, I don't want to say less of you, but kind of less of you, like like you are not confident to doubt you, right? And I'm like, be direct and to the point. And this is, men have this struggle too, because I've coached men on this, but women especially, like, I just want to be nice. I don't want to offend you. I want to, I want to, right? The actual words you're using. But, and a hundred percent in, in, Again, the same situation. I've been coached and I've coached women over the years on this and mentored women to, to get out of their own uh, speech trap. That they're Ooh, I like that. But, speech trap. So you have, but it's also not unwarranted, right? Because we have been receiving this feedback. And I know I'm jumping the gun to talk about, but we have been receiving a lot of this feedback over our careers and over our life on being, I cannot tell you how many times early in my career, including when I was already a leader, I received the feedback of being too direct. Me too. Well, <laughs> my entire career. <laughs> it, it, ain't that something? I don't think I know a single man that has received that feedback. Yeah, I, that, I'd like when I get that, I'm like, would you say the same thing to a man? It, and it and it's because there's also an expectation. There's an unspoken expectation that women are softer, that we we soften the blow of, of and the strength of the things we're going to say. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever been I've ever been giving was by call, a male colleague on when I was presenting a really big project, something I had created, and I would present the key pieces of the project, and then I will add all these little like, oh, and but if we wanted to do this, but if you don't want to do the first thing I said, if you want to, and and he gave me the best advice, which was, you gotta drop the bomb, and you, you gotta wait. Don't give them an out. Don't get like, just wait. They will tell you if option one is not good. They will tell you if option two is too expensive. Don't jump to make again we're often trying to make the environment comfortable and i think that's the essence of and it's so much on the the emotional load that ends up with women all the time which is making our environment comfortable and making everyone feel at ease yeah we take that so seriously and and it shows up unconsciously in so many areas and so many of the things we do not creating an uncomfortable situation, not even in conflict, not saying something that the other. And over time, hopefully, you learn that. And, and my one of my missions is that hopefully younger women learn this sooner rather than later as young professionals that it's okay if somebody puts you in a difficult position, if someone someone creates a situation, maybe they should be uncomfortable with your comment back. Not an excuse to be rude, not an excuse to yeah. be unprofessional, because I also see this happening where people kind of hide behind the curtain of honesty and directness to just be rude and unprofessional. That's not it at all. But sometimes, yeah, it, it, I may need to say, Gina, what you said was inappropriate. 
and stop right there and let you feel uncomfortable with that moment potentially and let you apologize to me and let you ask yeah. me why is that why did why was it in, why why do you consider it was inappropriate so then i'm not trying to lighten your load you're the one that that created the situation in the first place so that's i think something that as women there's a long way in terms of both expectation and our own actions in in, in reply to a situation well, I think there's I, I think there's a lot of fear around. I've got a lot of friends in challenging work situations. I think there's a lot of fear of saying something back and using their voice that there's going to be some level of repercussions. And I don't know. I don't. Yeah, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I got to wonder: Do we worry more about the repercussions as women than men do? Because men will say what they think because they're just. They just let it come out of their mouth and they'll say it. But we as women, we're like thinking, processing, overthinking, replanning. Maybe I should say it like this. Maybe I should say it like that. Oh, I don't want to offend. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to shake the apple cart. I don't know. I feel like sometimes there's that difference between us. I know I had some interesting bosses over the years. I had one boss say to me, I had taken over a business in another city and I was taking it over, like I was the turnaround person for that retail location. And it was a really hard transition for a lot of reasons. I had to change geographies. Everything in that geography was different. Uh, how things got done was different. Like it was all the different things to deal with. And it was incredibly overwhelming. It was completely unexpected of what I would have to deal with, especially coming from my last location where I was an all-star internationally. And now I'm like, and I was excited about this new opportunity, but it was too much. And so I literally had a breakdown because I was exhausted. I was working 18 hours a day. I was just drained. And I had called my boss, who was the CEO. I was telling him of some of the things that were happening. And he says to me, you're just, you're too emotional. You need to stop being so emotional. And I said, you're, I am emotional because this is too much. I said, the reason why I'm calling you is because I need help. And I need to know who you're going to send here to help me because I can't do it by myself. Right. I literally put myself out there, raised my hand and said, send help. This is not feasible trying to do all of these things by myself. It took so much for me to actually admit that I needed help. And then I was told I was too emotional. It's That's another piece of feedback that's often and uh, not both unnecessary and, quite frankly, incredibly sexist because it, it really is about men are assertive and women are emotional in the same situation, right? It's, right. And nine times out of ten, again, I'll make the big disclaimer that this is good. We're, we're speaking about general things happening. Yeah, exactly. Exceptions in both sides. But I, I, it's incredible how that advice, in my case, was a bit of the opposite. I never quite got that because I suppressed for so long in my career, I suppressed any type of as much as I could any type of emotional reaction so I wouldn't get that feedback and they within what was what I considered to be the right path of trying to behave and act more like the men so then that yep. way you wouldn't be and then it was only a several years a few years ago where I realized that 
the, the, the secret sauce is really on that combination and bringing that into bringing that forward, watching incredibly successful women, incredibly successful leaders, period, you know, stand on their own as leaders, do that and bring that together and be vulnerable and be. And I was like, oh, that's what's supposed to be. We're supposed to be bringing that on and we're supposed to be advocating for more and more of that to be available versus trying to ask the ones that come after us to suppress it as well, right? To, to oh, yeah. Away or, or to continue to give that feedback or to perpetuate. One of the things that I think is one of the simplest things that we can do for each other is call out, one, watch ourselves so we're not giving that feedback and we're not perpetuating those kinds of comments, right? Oh, it's really emotional or so-and-so is really, she's really a bitch or she's really... A, a, those things I think that need to be us watching our own well, questioning yeah. our own thoughts, questioning our own conclusion, questioning our own thoughts and say, Would that be the advice? Would that be something I'll be thinking if it was Well that's you know, a whole that's a so, whole nother that's a whole nother layer to it. So all of this then becomes symptomatic of a bigger problem within an organization because if you're creating a culture that is now behaving that way and talking that way and acting that way. I just had this conversation with a friend. Then everybody in the organization starts to buy into, oh yeah, that Gina. Or, oh yeah, that Tati. Right now, like they're all kind of, because we all want to be inclusive and we all want to be included, not not inclusive, but included. So we join in on the bandwagon and all we're doing is proliferating a bigger problem. And then now you're typecast. Now you're put in that, like, this is Gina's persona. This is Tati's persona. And then they stick to that and they never change their mind about that. And the only way to get out of that is to leave because no one's changing their mind about you once someone has formulated this impression and then socialized it. And now you're stuck with that because of an incident. And to your point, I swung on the pendulum I went from empathetic, emotional leader to the other extreme because of being called out for being emotional. I'm like, okay, I guess I got to act like a man and be direct. And then I got criticized for that. Because you're going to get criticized no matter what. And that's the other thing. And talking about people, we had a conversation about feedback before. And I find feedback a, a fascinating piece because often people will stand on the extremes of it, which is, well, we were somewhat thought that feedback is just like the gods coming onto earth to tell you what you need to do and you just need to follow it blindly. And on the other side, something on the other side are like, well, that's, I am how I am and I'm not going to follow any of this and just take me as I am. And it's neither, right? So feedback is someone's opinion, pure and simple. Now, valid. I find it very valuable to learn someone's opinion. Because then depending on how the per- what the person represents and what their role is and what their experience is, there's, I always find some valuable pieces in that opinion Agreed. that I can use to make a change or not make a change. Because if it's someone who acts in a completely different way that I would like to be acting, that criticizes certain things and says you shouldn't be doing that, it actually fuels me to continue to do that, right? Such as? Someone who's not necessarily lifting other women up in the workplace saying you're too direct, you're too assertive, or you're calling out too many people on that. You're creating, a, you're creating, you're making some people uncomfortable by calling out their sexism at work. I'll be happy to take that feedback to continue doing what I am, what I'm doing. I never received that feedback, by the way, just an example, but it's a very, I think it's a, 
it's looking with it with in very practical terms of feedback as someone's opinion. So to your point, for so long I was taking that feedback or to direct and to assert it and to try to change who I was and how I could be my best and how I could show up in a super in, in a very strong way and how I could develop and how I could in by all means not perfect. But that was not the purpose of it at all. That the purpose was that the perception that this person has of you. What do you want to do about that? It's much less about changing who you are and becoming a different leader. Or and and sometimes there will be feedback that will jolt you to become a different leader. There will be feedback that hits you in a way where it makes a lot of sense to you. But it's 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 really interesting. And 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 taking feedback. Yes, feedback is a gift, but it's not a it's it's not a lime green bathing suit you have to wear. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. So if we think about this, to me, the best type of leader is the one that can blend the two, that can have empathy and emotion and also be direct and create a psychologically safe environment where everyone feels like they have a voice and they can speak up and they're not going to get chastised for it and they're not going to be personified by whatever, right? I've been called direct. Um, I've been called a number of things and I'm still surprised that I'm actually, like they would actually call me things at all to my face and to my back, right? Like things that could be perceived as a derogatory in some way, shape or form. I'm like, did you actually just say that? Or even saying things like, well, Gina's really loud. Well, she's Italian. She's really loud. She's really direct. She's rough around the edges. She's, I've heard someone describe me like, oh, she's really tough to work with, right? Okay. Now you've shared that, you make everybody think that by talking that way. I'm to the point. And if I were a man, I don't think that would be said about me. So you know, it wouldn't have been said about you necessarily and or it wouldn't have been said in a way in which it hurts you. Right. Quote unquote, in which it will hurt your reputation, it will hurt your ability to be heard. It will diminish the strength of your opinions, of your thoughts. So one of the things that I think is like, that, how do we give better feedback instead of telling someone, hey, you're being too emotional about this? How do you talk about, hey, what's the best way? What's your desired outcome out of this? You are just trying to get someone to help you. Great. Let me help you uh, figure it out how will be a most effective way for you to make that request and get it completed. What are some of the things you could say? Who are the people you should talk to? What are, what are some of these the communication hacks that will get you the attention of the people you need in order to get the help that you need there? It's one thing that I think that, again, it's how you think about feedback and how you think about telling them. Because maybe it is true that based on the emotional response, it was something that the other side was shutting down to as well, right? And not listening to your request, uh, yeah. potentially. Yeah. yeah. But how do you, so the saying that someone is too emotional, first of all, it's a blanket statement that it's just like you don't tell somebody always or never because it's not true. Right, right, right. You're talking about a specific situation with a specific outcome and a specific objective. It's poor feedback for someone to say something like that. How do you give feedback that's actually effective and changes like, oh, okay. When I send just like the feedback you were giving the, the, the client that you're talking to, right? Yes, this message sounds like you're apologizing for something you haven't even done yet. Like someone yeah. reading this is not even clear what you're asking for. Right. That's effective feedback. 
let's get you a, to a place where it's clear, where you're clear, where you get to what you're looking to, to. So one of the other things, one of the other ways that I think we can advocate for women in the workplace and for colleagues and for others that are working with us is by asking the questions. When someone says, oh, that Gina, she is just hard to work with. Why? Why do you say that? What, so, so how do you ask those follow-up Yeah, great point. To a place? Why do you say that? And, and there's some people that generally are harder to work with, right? Because they, they do, oh, she shuts every idea down, only her idea is good. Then they need to ask the follow-up questions. Why do you say that? When did that happen? What? So you either will uncover someone that has made one comment one time and is now known for something that is completely unrelated to the way they work day to day, or you can uncover something that can actually be good feedback for that person to say, yeah. hey, how are you coming across in this meeting when you say, we really try that already? The people are hearing you as no idea as good as yours. That's valuable feedback. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that concept of everybody taking responsibility for advocating and being part of the solution rather than proliferating a bigger problem and having gossipy conversations. I love that concept of, well, why do you feel that way? And then, especially if you're in a leadership position, if six people then tell me Tati is really too direct and this is what's affecting them and I can start to see some kind of pattern, then I can at least come to you and say, this is how it's being. And I've done this where I'm like, this is how it's being perceived. I'm not saying this is who you are. I'm just letting you know how it's perceived. How do we work on this together to change the perception? And the other thing is tangible examples, right? Because it's happened to me personally, and I've seen it happen to many colleagues and, and many of my direct reports in the past. And sometimes you give feedback like that without specific examples and without being a prescription and what are you talking about? And the person takes it in a completely different direction, right? Let's say I tell you to, being too direct is, is creating a situation in the team. You may change things that you don't need to where all they're considering, like <laughs> once you ask for the examples, you go, oh, that's what you're considering me being too direct. Okay, <laughs> I can shift that. Yeah, yeah. I, it happened that it's such a small thing at times and so simple. Yeah, and you're dealing with different personalities too. So depending on who you're working with from a personality perspective, I try to change, I don't try to change me, but I try to know the audience. So how I talked to, this came up many years ago, I had a performer at my theater who... Basically, I watched her grow up. She's the youngest person in our theater and I watched her grow up and I kind of became, we still joke, I'm like her second mom and I even give her a real mom a hard time and say, you owe me some child support because I've been raising this kid too. And she was a kid that I had to tough love and constantly to get her in line. And so I learned a lot from this because I tough loved her once in front of a group in a team meeting and people got worked up about it because they're like, they were so uncomfortable. What well, was one person? One person was so uncomfortable with the way I talked to her. Okay. So it gave me reflection. I'm like, so what I learned was I, I shouldn't have done it in that audience because the rest of the audience became uncomfortable with my directness with her. But I was able to call it out in that meeting and go, Susie, are you upset with the way I just talked to you? She's like, no, I need you to talk to me that way. And I wanted the group to hear that, that 
but it changed how I did things going forward. I'm like, not the audience to do that to her in front of. But it was something that it was one of those meetings where we're having a group meeting to talk about a situation that didn't go well. And Susie was a big part of the problem. But I probably needed a separate conversation with her to reinforce my message, tough loving her on the side and not in front of the group. Because it was the tough love message, which was going to act. So I think knowing who you're talking to as well is important as a leader or as an individual. And I think that uh, know your audience is absolutely a key a key point because as a leader, what you want is the message to come across, to be understood, to be absorbed by your team members. And each person is going to have a slightly different style. So yeah. adapting that is is a very smart strategy, and it's something that as a leader, as you, the more you develop that, the fur- the further you go, the the the, the better outcomes you're going to have. But in addition to that, understanding also the see some feedback and the see of calling people out on. And, and learning where, whether it is, I think you touched on a really important point. Is it in front of the entire group? Is it private? Is it in front of a smaller group? What are the ways in which you can effectively handle? I think that when someone talks over someone else, I think it needs to, and again, it doesn't have to be in an aggressive way, but I think it needs to be handled in front of the group and say, hey, just really love to hear what Gina has to say. I'd like to have her finish. That needs to be a blanket message that whether you're you're the leader and I invite even if you're not the leader to to, to do the same thing that it, it becomes understood in that group that those are not if you're the one interrupting you're the one that should be a bit ashamed not the one who's being interrupted <laughs> because often it works the other way but then there is bigger conversations right you have somebody in your team who constantly interrupts no matter what you do and no matter what that's also a one-on-one conversation to say yeah hey Joe Notice these four instances in the last week and a half in which this happened. I would really like for us to, to to change that. I would really like to see a change to that behavior because that's not. Yeah. You know, there, there's different ways in which you can insert yourself without. So uh, the leadership is going to have to be very aware of this. But I think that there's also a, a role that we all play as colleagues, as even subordinates of someone and watching some of this happening and what either feeding it because when you are silent, you are agreeing in some way. Yep. And that we all know if no one says anything, it continues on. And then you, maybe you talk in the background, oh, that, that so and so is always interrupting everyone. Oh, until so and so gets either called out or, and or a conversation, uh, a one on one conversation about it, probably going to continue to happen. Well, I think that's also epidemic. Like, I think that continues to happen because nobody wants to be the person kind of trying to change the behavior. I've had colleagues in previous companies, like we'd have these back in the teleconferencing days on the telephone before Zoom, I would have colleagues call me and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for saying that on the conference call today because I was thinking it, but I, I was afraid to say it. And I'm also a believer in that people will start to mirror both positive and negative behavior. So here's my thought on being talked over and I'd love to hear because you talked about having tools for how to speak back. If someone's talking over me, I'm going to say, you know what, Tati, excuse, excuse me, Tati, if you don't mind, I would, and, and that might not even the best words, but I would be firm with it and say, I really don't appreciate. I don't know if you realize you're talking over me. I think that's one of the ways in which you can effectively communicate that. <laughs> but there's, and if someone is not as, 
comfortable in being as direct about it. I think there are other ways in which you're like, thank you. Like if you, if you can just hold back on that thought, because I got to finish, I'd like to finish what I was saying. <laughs> Very easy way to sort of, yeah, let, let me finish what I was talking about so then you can add your thoughts to it like something very simple like that yeah. which you become very comfortable and is still not necessarily now you might be there might be an instance where you say hey listen you interrupted i have had a moment my, my most extreme moment in my career i stood up and i put my hand up and i said <laughs> i'm not finished but that was there was an extreme moment most of the time it happened in a different way i think we're all, we're on zoom a lot on on virtual teams calls and zooms and i think that raising your hand physically raising your hand is one way to stop uh, someone that and going and physically raising your hand and going hey gina i just if you can hold that i hadn't finished let me just finish give me just another minute to finish uh what i was saying before you interject or before you add your thoughts to it I'd love to hear it but so you're you're being very assertive about finishing your thoughts and speaking, and you're also at the same time not creating a super uncomfortable fit. Or maybe someone will be uncomfortable. They should be if they're interrupting you in a way. But it's not. It, I don't think it disrupts the flow of the meeting necessarily. So I think yeah. there's some very easy ways in which you can do it. I would advocate that it, the the leader should have a huge role in that. It should be for the team to call it out. But let's see your point. It shouldn't be just the one person that calls it out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there should be other folks and the leader specifically being paying attention to that and saying, you know what, Gina had, or even going back and, hey, Gina, had you finished your thought before you got interrupted? Well, yeah, like going back to something we said earlier, I think what's important there is emotional intelligence in general. Emotional intelligence of the leader, especially if the leader is paying attention to the dynamics in the room and can circle back on that. And they're really the puppeteer. They're the navigator. They're the person who can come back and say, Tati, I don't think Tati finished what she was saying. Are you, were you done? And kind of steering that. And then somehow the leader also needs to pay attention to who is lacking emotional intelligence and how can they help those people get better at reading the room so that overall that leader is creating a better culture, right? You, But first you have to be emotionally intelligent as the leader because you can't possibly be aware of others' bad behavior if you have bad behavior. Yeah, in my absolutely. opinion. No, 100%. And I was just thinking about like, and there are times where you're going to need to be a little bit firmer on the conversation. I was just reflecting on a somewhat recent situation that I went through with someone who was constantly, consistently interrupting every single thing. And I got to a point that, okay, well, I really would like for this and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I really like for our interactions to work, our partnership to work. It's not working right now. It's not working for me. I'm be. I feel like I'm being constantly interrupted. I feel like you. I feel like you do not want to hear what I have to say. How do we solve this? The person was incredibly surprised by it, and well, I didn't mean. Well, that's what's happening. I can't get a thought yeah. out before you interrupt me. To disagree, I haven't even finished what I'm saying. You already disagreed somewhat. So how do we get? How do we overcome this? So the, I think that being humble about that as well, and and, and coming. I'm a huge advocate of a very direct conversation. No, yeah. no surprise of the direct conversation. <laughs> but a huge advocate of a very direct conversation. Like, hey, listen, this is what's happening. This is what I see. How do we solve it? What do yeah, and, and, and if I could take that on another step on the I feel, because I get, this is my emotional baggage and trigger. 
because I have been called out for being emotional, I actually struggle with saying I feel because I am struggling with, oh God, they're going to judge me for my feelings. I actually have a training and keynote that I give called managing the F word feelings. So I no longer, I will say, I perceive this happening. This is my thing, right? Because, and it depends on the audience too. If I'm in an audience that's all about the feels, then I will say I I feel. But if if I'm in an audience where I suspect that they're going to judge me for feeling, then I say, I perceive. Uh, That's just my take. And it's and it's also interesting, right? Because based on the feedback that we received, just a comment, and like for me, the opposite. I try to use the feel because the feedback has been that I haven't used it enough. <laughs> so I tried. I try, no, but I, I, ultimately, the the point on that was to how do you shift then from because I'll, I'll, and this is a basic technique of an effective discussion or conversation is this is my perception. I'm not saying you are. Correct. I'm yeah. not saying you meant. Exactly. So that's when you got into a, that's not what I said, that's not yeah. what I meant, that's, yeah. not, that's how it's hitting me. And yeah. there's no argument around that because that's my, it's, that's 100% mine. Yeah. How, the, how what you said hit me yeah. is 100% mine. There's no discussion around that. Now, you can have a discussion about how do we soften that? How do we create a better dynamic between the two of us based on those two factors but when you're putting the whether it's fear or perceive or sense or whatever it is that you use to shift that to yourself to say that that's how it's hitting me yeah you don't have a say on how it hits me correct that's mine now together we can come up with something that manages our relationship in a more effective or in a more productive way so I don't continue to feel or perceive or sense or whatever it is that I want to. So yeah. That's what I, ultimately what I think is an incredibly important way to advance these conversations and advance the, the concept of, and, and ultimately the, just the diversity of expression and diversity of thought, and which is what women bring in so many cases. We, we do have a different perception of things that's proven, right? Yeah. How do you use it for, how, how do you take it to its best use? How do you create an environment in which that is the, the, in, 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 instead of creating additional conflict that actually fuels yeah. conversation, yeah. fuels discussion in yeah. that way? Well, again, it's about creating a psychologically safe environment that everybody feels like that they have a voice. This is something I teach, it's fresh on my mind because I teach this in improv and I, this teaching an improv class last night it was like the first class of a level one in, in an in-person environment. And my whole goal is to set this space to feel safe for everybody to be who they are. And so at the end of the class, I said, what are your thoughts about tonight? What are some of your takeaways? What are you walking away with? And half of the class said, thank you so much for creating a safe environment. Now, I used those words at the beginning of class about creating a safe environment. And by the end of it, somehow they remembered those words because they called them back, but they called them back because they felt it. And they felt like, oh, I was really nervous when I got here and now I'm not nervous. And it was so important on that first day with them that they feel that. So going forward, they're only going to thrive because I set the stage immediately. So 
another leadership thing. Unfortunately, we got to wrap up. I wanted to talk about some of the unconscious and and hidden biases that we were talking about before the show, but that just means you got to come back. That would uh, be my pleasure. <laughs> and we are, we are going to talk about that. So Thank you, Tati, as usual, just in case people are just hearing you for the first time on the show. What is the best way for people to reach out to you and to work with you? And what types of clients would be best working with you? What, are, what, what do you help people do? What do I help people do? So, well, first, your first question, LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me, Tatiana Ferreira. I am, and if you follow Gina, you will have a very easy way to find me on her feed as we have collaborated and have had the pleasure of collaborating several podcasts uh, thus far and, and counting more to come. I help companies transform, bring ideas in a nutshell, bring ideas and their objectives and their, and, and their, what they want the company to become in terms of operations, customer experience, org design. I I help them bring that to life, to real life. Not awesome. theoretical if things were great, if labor were free and <laughs> and if everything worked perfectly and if budgets were unlimited. But I truly bring that to real life. Awesome. Thank you, Tati. And you can read all about Tati in the show notes for this episode because there's just too many great things to say about her. But if you're looking for organizational change, you need Tati. So thank you again, Tati. Thank you to our listeners for listening to The Women Your Mother Warned You About. And you can also watch on YouTube. So check us out on YouTube and go to womenyourmotherwarnedyouabout.com and you will find everything there that you need to know. And we'll see you next time. Bye.